Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. All right, there's not a lot of us this morning, so that'll be a a little bit louder. So, (laughs) well, I'm excited to be here, and I know it's, I mean, this is July, and if you've been in church a while, you know, the middle of summer, people start going places, and so thank you that you're here this morning, and um, those of you online, we love you, we miss you, Um, and so, um, but be sure also that you're here next week when we have Baptism Sunday, and we'll have a sermon about baptism, and then we'll be doing baptisms afterwards, so everybody needs to be here. So if you don't see somebody here today, uh, kindly uh, reach out to them. Um, Tell them we miss them. Don't make it weird or awkward or don't try to guilt trip them. Just tell them the truth. We love them and we miss them, right? Yes? Yes. Okay. Okay. Otherwise, it's just me sending texts and people get tired of that. (laughs) So um, this morning, I thought the first thing we'd do is just jump right into the text and read this pretty big a piece, a portion of this passage of Scripture this morning. And so I'm going to start by reading John 14, 12 through 27. And you could find that, or you could read it on the screen. Um, and so this is Jesus talking, and it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and then the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So a big, big passage of scripture. We don't normally read that much scripture at once, right? But And look, there is so much there. We're not going to hit every gem. We're not going to dig out every gem of this. There's, There's absolutely... Um, so much here, but what we could see here, I believe very clearly, is, you know, if you like using fancy words, what we find here is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. 
Has anybody heard those words, orthodoxy, orthopraxy? All right, so let me explain. <laughs> so um, orthodoxy means right belief. It means the right belief. And orthopraxy means actions based on those beliefs, right? You know the right thing and you do the right thing. And so, and for me, what helps me, because I get these confused all day long, orthodoxy, doxy kind of sounds like doctrine. So doc, doctrine, uh, doxy, that's what we believe is doctrine. And, and then um, praxy kind of sounds like practice. And so you have like your doctrine and your practice. And if you think about it like that, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And really, that, that, that's the sum of the whole Christian life. Do we know what's right? And better yet, do we do what is right? And so a lot of orthodoxy in here, um, a lot of truth to understand and be seen here. The first is of the introduction of the Holy Spirit. Right, the introduction of the Holy Spirit by Jesus. And so, while we have the advantage, we know what the Holy Spirit is. We know who the Holy Spirit is. Put yourself in, in the disciples' sandals. Who? What? Like, this is the first they're hearing about this. And so, what we read here is Jesus preparing them to be a follower of his after he leaves. Which means, when Jesus is no longer with them, this is the type of... of faith that we have and our walk as Christians because Jesus isn't sitting with us here like Jesus is sitting with the disciples. And so as Jesus is explaining how to be a follower of his when he's no longer here, well, this, this easily, totally applies to us as well. And of course, we see the orthopraxy. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Especially now operating in this understanding where Jesus is introducing this Trinitarian faith, right? This is where this begins, where Jesus is explaining, like it's been him and the Father so far. Me and the Father are one. The Father does all this through me. We couldn't possibly be any closer. And now just as he's about to leave and go to the cross, he's like, oh yeah, also the Holy Spirit is coming. And so these disciples, man, talk about having to get your doctrine and your orthodoxy figured out real quick. That's exactly what they're having to do. And so with that in mind this morning, we're, as, as we look at what it looks like to live as a Christian, my expect, I don't know if I call it an expectation, I, I'm pretty confident based on how I felt reading this that you may at some point feel something this morning. You may say, ouch, right? Oh, ooh, man, that, that hit close to home. That, that sounds like James is talking to me. I think he's thinking about me right now as, as he's saying that, and that is not the case. Just so you know, I did not have faces to any of these words, but you know, what, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit does is convict us, is convict us. So embrace that um, this morning. The fact is, a lot of that pain, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, much pain as a Christian for me is when I realize that I should have a certain love for Jesus and a certain obedience to Jesus, then for some reason, I have not followed through on that. Like, that's the ouch part. That is the realization part. Jesus is awesome, and I've been substituting my walk with Jesus, you know, in my case, sometimes to play video games. That's what I did? That's the ouch part. So it's not that I'm trying to make you feel bad, but maybe it's God saying, like, you know you should love Jesus like this. And so if you feel conviction this morning, that's awesome. Like that is grace. 
You know, you may have heard me say, after coming to the faith, after the grace of belief and Jesus calling you to himself, I believe the second greatest grace in our life is conviction. Conviction. Give me conviction today. That's what I want, rather than confusion tomorrow. Conviction today. And so our sermon today is called Greater Works by Loving Jesus. And let me start by, by praying for us. Lord, help us. Help us to love you, um, to serve you. Uh, Speak to our hearts. Convict us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. As we learn about uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, this introduction, Lord, may um, it improve our lives and improve our walks and help us to love Jesus more, Lord. Um, And doing all these things at the same time, knowing uh, what a great Father we have. And we totally do, Lord. You are awesome. Thank you. Amen. All right. In verses 11 and 12, we read, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So this kind of ties back into to last week's um, passage a little bit. And so Jesus is talking to Philip, and Philip is saying, like, show us the Father, Like, we will believe you, we will understand if you would just plainly show us. And Jesus says, Philip, like, my guy, my dude, you have seen the Father in my works. You have seen the crazy things I've done. And then Jesus uh, takes this turn, a very unexpected turn here, and in this conversation to Philip says, and you, meaning Philip and the disciples and us, are going to do greater works than I did. Like, wow, what? (laughs) What is happening here? And so, and really, there's no confusion about what Jesus says here. But the confusion comes when we then try to explain that. What does he mean that we're going to do greater works than him? And so the first thing that we need to do is really deduce from the rest of the New Testament, from all the entire history of the church. And so we know we could pretty easily figure out what is not being talked about here. What, what aren't we doing? Well, we're not doing miraculous, spectacular works of power, right, like Jesus did. Now, the disciples, some of the disciples did some pretty, pretty insane stuff, right, some miraculous stuff, but nothing in quite as, as great as Jesus did and certainly not as great in number and then even us today, how many, how many of us here could say that we've turned uh, water into, into great wine? How many of us have walked on water? How many of us have risen somebody from the dead? Right, like call them out, just like, hey, get out of the dead. None of us. And so we, so we know when it says greater works that we are not talking about pretending, right, or going on TV and pretending like we're doing these amazing things like Jesus did. No, those, those are things that Jesus did. And we're not doing those things. So then what are we talking about? Well, there's been entire books written about this stuff, but I want to look at a few areas this morning and that, that we can talk about that, that the greater works fall into but aren't limited to. So if you're thinking in your seat, well, what about, what about this? Well, let's talk about that. You're probably right because there's so many greater things that Jesus is doing through us, but the first is geographically. 
So greater things geographically. Well, what does that mean? Well, think about this. If you read your Bible, you don't need a whole lot of maps to, to go along with your Bible. If you're following Jesus' ministry, you know, on a map with pins, it's tiny. Like, it, it, I mean, it's a couple of miles, right? That's all Jesus' ministry was in, was in this very tiny little piece of land in Palestine, and yet, even with the disciples, what do the disciples do? Well, they go further. They get on boats, right? They, go to, they start going to complete different lands. And I think uh, we know by tradition, they go to different continents even. And even us today, we have access to, to, to geographically spread the gospel, right, greater than Jesus did. We can today, if we want to, and I don't recommend going to airports right now. It's a whole different story, but you can go to the airport, get on a plane, and go preach the gospel anywhere in the world. Jesus couldn't and didn't do that. Even this morning, when you, when you get out of church, you can get on your phone or your computer, and you can support a missionary. Like, you can have this great geographical, like, greatness for Jesus, right? People coming to the faith like, like Jesus never saw, and that, but also it wasn't his intent. That's not like, believe me, maybe I should say this. This isn't Jesus failed. This was the plan all along. That's why Jesus is saying, yeah, I taught you guys because you guys are going to do the crazy great stuff. I did this right here, but you guys are going to go around the world, which means that um, it's also greater ethnically. Ethnically. And so Jesus um, says himself multiple times. Who does Jesus say that he's there to speak to? The Jews, right? Jesus says, like, the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It says that clear as day. Some, some great passages about that. Jesus is coming for the Jews specifically. And then it's the disciples. Of course, Paul being the most obvious, Paul just goes everywhere, just gets beat up everywhere for the gospel. But even the other even the other you know, disciples who become apostles, they start ethnically incorporating like Judaism and then going in, into like sort of half-breed you know, type of people you know, who aren't really Jewish. But, but he's preaching to them. They're preaching to them. So different ethnicities. And so I would just say this morning, I feel like I have to say that Christianity never was and never will be a white religion. Like, I love everybody here. This is Bakersfield. This is just where we are. But you hear this all the time. Christianity is a white religion. Nonsense. Look at history. Go online. Look at a map. Look at demographics of what Christianity looks like. It's not a white religion. We're part of it, praise God. But it is not a one-note, one-color religion. No, in fact, in Revelation 7, I don't have it written here, but it talks about all the nations and all the people, everybody from everybody just worshiping God. And through that, we can get to the fact that um, these works are greater numerically. Greater numerically. Now, now, some people follow Jesus, but if we're honest, just as the time we've spent in John, <clears throat> it almost seems like more people are leaving Jesus than coming Right? It's like, oh, these masses, these crowds, they come around Jesus. Then Jesus starts talking, and then by the end of that chapter or that passage, it's, and they walked away. Right? So people, there's people who are coming. The disciples came. We know there's more than the disciples, but you see more going than coming to Jesus. 
And then when Jesus goes to heaven to be with the Father, which Jesus is so excited about right now, a couple of days later, thousands come to the faith. Right? In the book of Acts, thousands within days come to the faith. Today, uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but several sources I looked at said there's 2.38 billion people in the world who express some form of the Christian faith. It's insane. So greater numerically, um, and also greater because of that humanitarianly. That is a word, I promise you it is. I looked it up. Humanitarianly. In chapter 12, Jesus says, you have the poor with you always. It's kind of a weird statement. What's he saying? Well, you guys have all this humanitarian stuff to do. It's not going away. And so you guys need to handle that. But we have. And the church, you know, don't, don't believe the memes and the hype. The church has done more for the world than any organization, than any company, than any movement in the history of the world as far as helping the, the sick building hospitals. There's a reason hospitals are all called Saint something, right? Building hospitals, um, helping the poor, feeding the poor, helping the, 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 the unborn, helping the born, don't believe the lie that we don't, uh, widows. There's all these parachurch ministries that are built around the fact that in, in this power of ethnicity and number, that all these people coming to Jesus, the world is a better place. And so Jesus, if we look at Jesus's ministry, we can't say, oh, Jesus helped you know, the uneducated and all these different things. But if we look at the church, it's like, oh my gosh, all these great things we're doing in the name of Jesus to make society better. I would say even our country reflects that. The great things about this country, and I still love this country, they're all built on, on Christian principles, right? I mean, just think education and healthcare, all those things that people are now calling rights were things that Christians fought and died for. But at the end of that, despite that, we have to be careful how we frame this discussion. When we're talking about greater works, we are not talking about comparing our works to Jesus' works. This is not comparing whose works are greater. But what we're comparing is the works that Jesus did on earth versus the works that Jesus is doing from heaven. They're both Jesus' works. Jesus is still getting the glory. It's still all about him. We're doing greater works, but, it, but it's through him and for him. And so that, that we have to be careful about our own ego in this, right? Check our ego with this. The greater works are a result of following Jesus, which is believing in Jesus. Remember the thrust of this passage, as we talked about last week, is let not your hearts be troubled. What? Believe in me, <laughs> right? That, that, that's what sets all this whole passage off. Hey, don't, don't look at the world and be scared and frustrated and anxious. Instead, believe in me. And now th this is Jesus' follow-up to that. And so let's look, look, look at what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to live as Christians, especially under now um, the Trinity, as we find in this chapter. So let's look at greater works by loving Jesus. And so as we look at Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, verses 21 through 24. Uh, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. 
He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not as scary, it said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, and he's saying the same thing again here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not and the word that you hear is not mine, but the, the Father's who sent me. And so you, you kind of hear, just in these three verses, like kind of the, the same thing repeated four different ways. And when that happens, I mean, that's when, I mean, if Jesus is repeating the same thing over and over, we want to understand this. It couldn't be clearer, especially understanding orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If you love Jesus, it's because you know who he is, right? Your orthodoxy, you know what's required, you know the word, and you will listen and you will follow and you obey. Whoever does that loves Jesus. And that seems, that seems pretty basic. Um, but this morning, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, or if you want to be sure that you're a Christian, ask yourself two questions. The first is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That's a fair question. And that, maybe that, that's one that you need to, to sit alone with you know, sometime during the week. And then follow-up question to that is, do your actions show that you love Jesus? Do your actions show that you love Jesus? Someone who loves Jesus loves what Jesus loves and hates what Jesus hates. And I think I was having this discussion earlier, I think with you, Lee. Um, doing Christian things doesn't make you a Christian. Doing Christian things does not make you a Christian. Loving Jesus and doing those same things is a Christian. Now, Matt Carter, he says this. I thought it was really good. If you want to conquer sin and obey Jesus... You don't simply try harder to obey. You stoke the flames of your love for him. The antidote for disobedience isn't obedience, but love. For some of us this morning, the next step in our Christian faith isn't to download another sermon. It's not to read another book, and it's not, not, not to listen to another worship song. It's to learn how to love Jesus more. That's, that, that's your next step. Focus on Jesus, pray to Jesus, be obedient to Jesus in everything we do. And be encouraged by the fact that I do believe that attending church, and I know it's July, we're a little lighter this morning, attending church does show love for Jesus because you are loving what Jesus loves. You're, you're not forsaking the gathering of elect. The fact you're here tells me, okay, there's something about your heart that's in the right place. You're doing the right thing. And so, again, be encouraged by that. Now let me lean in a little bit and talk about other areas of obedience that are, that are pretty high up on that list of things that we need to be asking ourselves if we're Christian. Do you have any other gods before Jesus? And I would say really think about whether you worship yourself more than Jesus. So I tell you, as an American, that, that should be our first question. Do I love Jesus or I do, do I love me? And is Jesus sort of you know, my sidekick, my homeboy. Do you love your neighbor? 
And not just your cool neighbor. Like, do you love the other neighbor? The one who is maybe a different ethnicity, a different religion, a different political party? Do you love them? Would they say that you love them like Jesus loves you? What do you do with your time and resources? What do you do with your time and resources? Do our actions reflect a love for Jesus? Or as as I have seen many times in my life and have had to counsel many people, have at some point you switched, not intentionally, not dramatically, but have you at any point switched your love for Jesus with a love for Christianity? Because if you think about it, Isn't that the problem the Pharisees have? Isn't that sort of the anti-everything that Jesus is preaching about? They know a lot. Their orthodoxy would destroy ours. We lose that battle. They did not love God. They loved the religion. They loved the praise from people. They loved being in the temple and having the best seats. And they they did church well. They did Judaism well and missed the one true living God And if that's you today, then simply you must repent of that. I'm not here to to slap your hand. Gosh, I will will pray with you. We could talk about that. It is an easy thing to do, easier than you would think. Something I have to guard my heart against. I know I've talked to you, some of you about this before. I love theology. I love the church. But if I love that over Jesus, man, have I made a horrible mistake. And so our love for Jesus must grow, which means our knowledge of Jesus must grow, which means we must know his word. Um, Everybody here, including myself, we can know the word better, which means we can know the Lord better, which is where we see where the Holy Spirit comes in. And we find that, that greater works are taught to us by the Holy Spirit. I don't think I opened the lid all the way. Now, I mentioned earlier, this is an, an uh, introduction to, about the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Um, and although the Holy Spirit is in them, this passage says, the Holy Spirit hasn't come, not until Acts chapter, true, uh, chapter 2, you know, dramatically, where there's no doubt, like, what just happened? Um, and so Jesus is letting them know that their faith, following Jesus now, after his presence, because they're not going to be able to see him eye to eye, is going to be based on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Whole dynamic relationship shift in what it means to follow Jesus. And we find this in verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper. So Jesus says another helper, and this is really, um, this is huge to understand, um, trying to think of the Greek word, I think it's alas, me Daniel, you can correct me later, I think it's alas, um, that that means um, another or one who is similar. And so what what this says is that when the Holy Spirit comes, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit's going to be Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is going to fill that void where Jesus was. And so it's not different, it's another, equal. 
And so the Holy Spirit is taking the ministry place of Jesus in their lives to comfort them, strengthen them, teach them, help them to not lose heart. And so get this, Jesus is communicating through this that having the Holy Spirit in their lives is like having him in their lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that having the Holy Spirit today was like the disciples having Jesus? My guess is probably not. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the original Greek says. Like, another helper, another one like me. Like another version of me, but we'll talk about also greatly different for for a number of reasons. And do you believe that? Do you understand that? Or do you have that orthodoxy? Do you understand that? But you're not living that out. You're not truly living that reality out. So often I hear people say, um, even in my own family, um, try not to eye roll, um, well, if Jesus was here, I would act better. Not this family, by the way. Um, If Jesus was here, oh, I would act better because I would see him face to face. My life would be better. I would react a whole different way. But what it says here is Jesus says that another like him is here. So your life should reflect just like Jesus is here. Because that's what Jesus said. If the Holy Spirit is here, you will have the same response to the Holy Spirit as you do to me. The Holy Spirit isn't lesser. The Holy Spirit is coming to do what I do just on a scale that is what? Greater. Greater. So let's continue reading in verse 17, uh, where we read, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, uh, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so two truths here that we learn. Um, One is that the Holy Spirit is... Well, it's not a spoiler, but he's a spirit. He's a spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is also a person. So what's the difference? Why? Why then, if the Holy Spirit is a person, and they're going to do the same thing, why, why, why a transfer here? Why is Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming? Well, for one, Jesus was limited. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. But he limited himself to time and space, right? And so here's the reality. Let, let's pretend somehow um, that Jesus, just like in this passage, was, was on earth right now. He's somewhere on earth. We would never see him. Because the line to see him would be, it'd be astronomical. You'd have countries uh, uh, at war just around him and everything he's saying. And so that, that doesn't work. The gospel doesn't spread. There's not, you know, a three point, uh, was it one eight, two point one eight, two point three eight billion uh, of believers now. If it was just based on one person, even though Jesus is God, we're not at that number with one person having to spread the gospel one at a time. But now we have the Holy Spirit whose person and presence and power is that of Jesus, only he is not seen. The world can't see him. So people can't stop him. And the world can't try to stop him. And there's no line to get to him. And there's not entire religions trying to suffocate him because they can't see him. 
And not only that, he's not limited to time and space because he's a spirit. And so the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, right? There's no limit. So we have now a form of Jesus, right? God, who, who is able to do the ministry of Jesus all over the entire planet, unseen. And so that's why we see this greater than shift. The works that we're going to do are greater because we have the Holy Spirit who is not seen, just as powerful, moving all around us, doing things that are greater than Jesus was able to do because in his humility, he allowed himself to become human. And so we see how these greater things now make sense. And speaking of time and space, it says that he dwells in us. And so Jesus, uh, if you remember last week, he says, hey, when I leave... I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to come back from the grave. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, that's great for the future. But what about today? Jesus, you're leaving to go to the Father's house. Does that mean we're alone? No, he follows it right up saying, the Holy Spirit is in you, dwelling in you. In the Greek, it says home. You know, like you're the apartment, right? You were where the Holy Spirit lives, And so we have God even more intimately by the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, what's the Holy Spirit doing inside of us? Well, he's helping us, as we'll see. But he's helping us, making a home in us to what? Get us to our Father's house with Jesus. And so we see the Trinity at work here. Like all three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit inside us trying to get us to the Father's house to be with the Father and Jesus. You with me? I want to look at another um, two verses that that tell us more about the Holy Spirit here. Verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance, remembrance all that I have said to you. And so we learn two more things about the Holy Spirit that I love. Uh, First is that he teaches us. And so again, oh, if Jesus was here and he taught me, oh, I would be the best disciple ever. Okay, well, it says here, what's the Holy Spirit? Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit. First thing, dude is going to teach. Like he's coming to teach. Are you kidding me? If you want to learn, we have the Holy Spirit of God to teach us just like Jesus did, how to act, how to repent, how to worship, how to understand his words. Now this one, man, I love. I don't know if it's just because of my age, but the Holy Spirit helps us remember. Praise God. Like, dude, I need help remembering, guys, like all the time. And it says the Holy Spirit here will help us remember, right? Help us recall these things you know, that he's taught us, right? So you don't have to worry about, what am I going to say? And other verses talk about this. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you. It's going to help you remember because it's in there and the Holy Spirit's going to help you to remember. And this is super helpful, but it's only helpful if you have something to remember. If you have something to remember, church, Remember, the first part is is that the Spirit teaches. And so my fear, my concern for us, for all of us, including myself, is do we have enough space and time in our lives to learn from the Holy Spirit? Do we have that time set apart to learn 
from the Holy Spirit. How much time do we dedicate to word and prayer and meditation and to theology and to fellowship? We can neglect and reject the teaching of the Spirit, and that sounds horrible. We can neglect and reject the teaching of the Spirit, but we don't do that. Or do we? Well, look at our time. Quite frankly, look, look at what we do with our time. Do we not suppress the truth that the Holy Spirit want to teach, wants to teach us with just a bunch of random nonsense information? I'm not talking about important information about our health or our family. I'm talking about all the other stuff, the non-essential, not family, not work-related stuff. You know, I tell you this, guy, guys, because I love you, right? I know, I know I'm coming down hard here, but if you're reading, you know, your Bible for 15 minutes a day, yes, that's a win. That's a win. If you're going through the Bible in a year, that, that's a win. Do that. Do that. I'm absolutely <clears throat> behind that, and that's a great start. But if we're then following that up with 8, 10, 12 hours of sports radio or political radio or Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus. And I'm preaching to me too. Our video games. I don't think that we can learn or hear from the Holy Spirit what we are meant to learn if we weigh our, our, our 15 minutes a day of morning reading versus an entire day and week and year and life of just all this other stuff we're trying to cram in. I mean, that's just math, right? It, it just doesn't add up. And it, it spiritually, it doesn't work. Now, I'm sure as one of those, I probably rubbed at least all of us the wrong way at least once in there. Okay. I understand that. But again, I love you. I want you to do greater works. That's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. And so we really need to take inventory of our lives and ask us, you know, am I doing greater works? Or am I just doing like stuff I think is Christian? Am I kind of sprinkling in what I think Christians do while then spending my entire life on something else? Our love for Jesus must be our greatest love. Our love for Jesus must make us obedient to him. Which means we need to know his word more. And praise God, he says his Holy Spirit is there to help us. Now mind you, it says the Holy Spirit will remind us when we need it. So let me just um, maybe take a load off your shoulders today. You do not need to memorize scripture. If you do, that's great. But the expectation here is to know Scripture. Because it says, He will help you remember it. Well, if you memorize it, you don't have to remember it because you memorized it. But you better know what's in there. Right? It doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to magically recall some verse you've never read. Right? He's saying, you keep going through this word. You keep letting me teach you. Right? You read this word out of love for Jesus, knowing this is about Jesus then you don't have to worry about winning you know, Bible trivia. You don't have to worry about whether you can cite any verse, because church, I can't. You've heard me talk. I can get you to the right chapter pretty quick, but the verse? 
I mean, if that's the expectation of spiritual maturity, then, then, then I fail you. But I love Jesus, and I love his word, and I can get this pretty close, like GPS, I can get us close enough, fast enough, that we can figure it out real fast, right? And to me, that's great. I think that's where we should all desire to be. And another truth to remember this morning is that we have a great father. We have a great father. Now, this passage, I think, is really about the introduction of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus never stops talking about the father. It just never stops. Keeps going on about how great the father is. Um, But quite frankly, this morning, if you feel convicted, um, you just need to know you're not lost. You're still a child of God. And so I didn't say if you felt convicted, you should question the faith and run away. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But we should really go back to the fact that we have a great father. In verses 18 through 20, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Awesome. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so... We need to know, church, that we are not orphans. Talk about an orthodox belief. Like, we, we have a father. Like, that, that is a belief that we need to operate out of, that we are children of the father, and that we've been adopted. We've been, and when we're adopted, and, and there's, I can go off, there's a whole study about, like, this, this idea of adoption in the Bible, especially historically, that's, in, in a sense, you could technically, if you had children, separate yourselves from them. I think, I don't know if that's called today. Is that emancipate? No. Um, there's something where you can divorce your kids, right? I mean, don't do that. That's not what James said. But you can. And in this time, you could too. But if you adopted a child, you could not unadopt them. And so when, when the Bible says that we are children of God... And adoption is a huge orthodox belief of our faith. Again, this ties into the fact you can't lose your salvation. You can't be adopted and then also unadopted. That is not our faith. Our faith is you've been adopted, and even if we're having a bad morning, and even if we're struggling with sin, we are still adopted. And so do not let that be something that you struggle with. You want to struggle with some other sins? Fine. But not a belief in that you don't know if you're a child of God or not. If you are, you are. And you didn't do anything to not be And so we may be many things in life, but we will never be spiritual orphans. Now, this um, isn't in my sermon, and we don't have a slide for it, but um, somebody else asked to talk about verse 28. So let me look up verse 28 here. John 14, 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What does that mean? The Father is greater than I. Well, you can get into some serious trouble right with this verse, right? So what does it mean? Well, there's a couple ways to explain it. The first would be the idea of essence and economy, which I know we talked about in a sermon, and, and the fact that the Trinity in essence, is God, right? We believe in the Trinity, that, that every member of the Trinity is completely God. That not any member of the Trinity is any less God than any other aspect of the Trinity. 
But when it comes to salvation, they're, they're, the theological term is the economy. And so how does the people operate? How does each member of the Trinity operate in our salvation? And so what we see here, and that's exactly what we see with Jesus saying, well, the Father is greater than I. As we've read through this, we've seen Jesus, heard Jesus say this multiple times. The Father's awesome. I can't wait to get back to the Father. Hey, love you guys, but I'm going back to the Father. The Father is the greatest. I listen to the Father. And so again, it does point to, I think Jesus is pointing us to the fact that we have a great Father. Right? Jesus wants us to know you've been adopted by a great Father. But there's also part of this where we need to understand how intimate uh, intimate and supportive the Trinity is within itself. You've already heard Jesus say in this passage, you're going to do greater works. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. So it, it, in, in this passage, I mean, you, can make it, you could get confused about, well, what does it mean that the Father is greater? Well, if you're going to get confused about that, then get confused about the fact that he also says that you're going to do greater things because of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, don't confuse Jesus' humility and his operation in the economy of the Trinity with how much of God he is. He didn't just say, Holy Spirit is greater, and the Father is greater, and then I'm just down here. No, not whatsoever. In fact, when we operate in the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit tell us? Jesus is awesome, right? Obey Jesus. Out of love for Jesus, obey Jesus. What does the Father want you to do? Worship Jesus. And so what we see here and throughout Scripture, it's not a contradiction at all, but every member of the Trinity is all about the other members of the Trinity. What you never hear is Jesus say, I'm awesome, Holy Spirit's okay, God the Father, they're okay, but I'm God, God. No, they love each other and submit to each other just like some of us do in marriage or for part of a team. No, it wasn't my block that won the game for us, it was the throw of the quarterback or it was the catch by that receiver. And so is, is that player saying that he's less than them? No, he's just being a really good teammate. He's being humble, and he's pointing out the fact that it's this collective working together and pointing to how great each other are that shows just what a great God we have, right? It's so different than, than the gods that are surrounding them that are angry, right? And people are afraid, and they're sacrificing their own babies out of fear for every little reason because they're, they don't know if their God's having a good day or not. And Jesus is saying here, and the Holy Spirit says, and the Father says, like, we love each other. And also, not only do we love each other, we're going to make our home in you in the Spirit, and we're making a home for you for eternity. You're going to join into this. Like, you're, you are now invited into this. And so, it's a, it's a great thing, and I hope it's not something that would confuse any of us, the fact that Jesus says that the Father is awesome in the same way that even if you said that your father is awesome, it doesn't mean that you're saying that you're lesser. Not at all. Now, there is one um, last couple of verses I want to look at this morning, which is verses 12 through 14. Um, not much time left here, but um, there's this incredible truth. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And this is sort of what, and this is, yes, this was where we started, and this is how this all ties together. 
as well. And so this morning, if you, if you are saying to yourself, I don't think that I love Jesus as much as I need to or as much as I want to, or if I can't honestly say, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit like the disciples felt the presence of Jesus, then what it says here is that we only need to ask Jesus. Right? Ask in the name of Jesus. You know what a great prayer is? If you guys just, if you're working on prayer, it's something you want to get better at, I'll tell you a very good true prayer you could pray every day. Jesus, I love you. Help me to love you more. Right? We can pray that every day and mean it. Or maybe you can pray, Jesus, teach me by your spirit your word. Help me to prioritize it, to go through it, and let me be taught by you and help me remember that so that in every area of my life, as I approach every decision in my life, I know how to do it in a way that honors you, follows you, and loves you because, Holy Spirit, you're telling me, reminded me of all these things because it's not like we're going to walk around with a checklist, guys, right, and see what we're doing. The Spirit's inside of us is going to do that for us. And lastly, if you look around and you don't see yourselves doing greater things, the things that Jesus said you were going to do, that, that is the prayer that Jesus wants to answer, right? And so, I mean, that's the context of this where Jesus says, ask me anything. And yes, there's people who are going to leave here and ask for a Lamborghini, ask for one for me too, right? It doesn't, that's, but that's not what this passage is about. It's like, you're going to do greater things. Ask for them in my name. And so, quite frankly, all these things today, and I hope it stirred us up and gave us a desire to do greater things, to love Jesus more, to understand our relationship with the Spirit, but also it all comes back on us and the fact that we just need to ask. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.